and a, a round of applause. They've done a fabulous job. I mean, we, we had a banjo today. That's awesome. I love it. So good to worship. So we're in the middle of uh, a series. We're, we're, in, uh, we're in part three uh, of a series called Created for Community. And uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the very first community that God created was in marriage. I gave you some homework, and it was to date your spouse, to go on a date with your spouse. Did anybody do their homework? Okay, a couple of you. All right, way to go, Roger Dial. Um, I want to just encourage you to to take some time in in the next few weeks uh, to go go on a date with with your spouse. But we talked about how Christ's love and the love between a husband and a wife provides a glimpse of Christ's passionate devotion to us as his bride. And then last week, Mike Malik had the opportunity to share about the importance of another part of community, our cities. And as Christians, we need to be a part of our cities. We need to be leaders in our communities and the people that we interact with. We can't just stay in this building, but we have to go out and make a difference for the name of Jesus. And he gave a great suggestion. I know I already mentioned it at the beginning of the service, but he gave a great suggestion to invite some friends to come out for the concert that we have tonight on the square. It's non-threatening. It's going to be a great time. It's only an hour. This week, we're going to talk about family and, and parenting. And the cool part is, is that in the same way that marriage teaches us about God... The ups and downs of parenthood offer a compelling picture of God's tenderness and patience towards us as his children. See, I I can attest to this stretching my patience thing as a parent. Because in in the last couple of weeks, my son Eli, who is going to be five in September, he started getting night tears at night. And, And a night tear is basically where he wakes up, he's not really with it. Um, something is not right as he's switching between sleep cycles, but you can't reason with him. You can't do anything until it passes. And it's been really frustrating, and it's not a nightmare. He's not having a bad dream, necessarily. He doesn't remember it in the morning. And as we did some research about what this was this past week, somebody said, you can tell if it's a nightmare versus a night terror by who's more frustrated by it in the morning. Mom and dad or the kid. And I'm sure some of you are probably wondering at at this point how a 29-year-old can offer any sort of advice on parenting. The good news for you is that I'm not really intending to offer you any advice, but rather some guidance from a biblical perspective and what families mean as a part of community, and how that impacts us as parents and as families. According to the Census Bureau in 2011, of all the family structures, only 19.6% were married couples living with their children. That's down from 40.3% in 1970. The traditional married couple with children is on the decline. And before we start talking 
about how values have decreased dramatically and about how our country is in terrible shape, let's think about what's really playing out here. It's Satan at work. He's trying every way he can to shape and form the things that that God has given us and originally intended and twisting them. Because he knows that the further we are from God's original plan, the less likely we are to follow him. And I'm not trying to beat you over the head or make you feel guilty if you didn't grow up in a traditional family or you are currently a part of one. Because there is grace at the cross. And the beauty of Jesus is that he can redeem any and every situation if we allow him. But I I wanted to make us aware of the fact that Satan is at work and Satan is attacking our families. And we want to keep him from continuing to get that foothold. See, God has been using this idea of family and the structure of family since the beginning of time. He's used it to create his chosen people, Israel. He used it to create the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 sons of Jacob. He's used different dynasties, not just the duck dynasty, but different dynasties over a long time. He's used families to be a powerful force in history. And I think that there's still a lot that he plans and intends to do through the families today. So how do we proceed from here? Let's turn to Deuteronomy 6. If you have a Bible, just grab one in front of you. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 5. It says, love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. That's where we need to start. We need to start internally. We need to start with ourselves. And we need to love God. If we want other people, if we want our families to go well, if we want the the people that we are surrounding ourselves with, we need to be right ourselves with our God. And we need to love him with all that we are. Continuing on in verse 6, he says, write these commandments, he's referring to the Ten Commandments, that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you, and then get them inside your children. Talk about them when, wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and your foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. See, there's, there's two things that are happening here in this passage. We need to take care of ourselves individually. We need to make sure that we are right. Before we try to impact anybody else for the, for the sake of God, we need to make sure that we are right with God. That we are having time with God because not because the preacher told you that you need to be right with God or that you need to spend time with God but because you can't have a relationship with someone whom you don't spend any time with the second thing that's happening here in this passage is that we need to be setting a good example 
God needs to be constant in our conversation. It needs to be coming up all the time, from the time you wake up until the time we fall into bed. I love how it says that. See, this idea of, of parenting and, and in our families, God being present, it doesn't come on accident. It has to be an intentional decision that we need to decide if God is going to be a part of our lives and if God is going to work in our lives. If we're going to allow those things to happen in our lives, it has to be intentional. It's not going to happen on accident. I had some close friends of mine who once told me that they didn't want to have any children. And they had told me that one day, and we were discussing it a little bit, and basically it came down to the fact that they wanted to travel the world, they wanted to have time to themselves, and it's really all selfish motives. And I, I get the fact that not everybody is meant to have children, or can have children for that matter. But I do know that being selfish and the desire to be selfish is not the right reason. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb, his generous legacy. See, children, children are a great gift from God. And yeah, it's tough. And yeah, there's going to be sleepless nights along the way. And yes, we are going to be frustrated. But they can be our greatest joy. Not only that, but they can be our greatest ministry. Why are we even talking about this this morning? It's because there's a biblical mandate for us. Psalm 78, verses 5 to 8 says, He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children, and then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God and whose spirits were not faithful to him. I know some of you are probably sick about this talk about orange curriculum that we've recently rolled out in our children's ministry. But this is exactly why we are doing it. Somebody once said about Orange, what if church leaders and parents synchronized their efforts to fuel wonder, discovery, and passion for the next generation? By combining the critical influences of the light of the church, which is yellow, and the love of family, which is red, the Orange strategy shows a generation who God is more effective, shows a generation who God is more effectively than either could alone. See, we need each other. We need the community of a family to be a critical influence in people because the church can't do it by yourself, by itself. Bringing your children to church is a great step, but simply leaving it that and expecting the church to be the ones to make believers out of your children is not going to happen. Several months ago, we had a marble display out in the foyer. And in the first bucket 
there was 936 marbles. Because that's the average amount of time if a child starts coming to church when they're first born, that's the average Sundays that they will have teaching times that they will have until they graduate high school in which the church has to influence them. But the family, family who has infinitely more. So don't leave it just to the church to teach your children. What if what if we could raise up the next generation of people because there's a mandate here. What if we could do that? Raise up the next generation to follow God, to tell their families about God. Think about how the gospel would get spread. There's an article on CNN's belief blog written by a lady named Rachel Evans, and she's talking about millennials. Many of, many of the students that are just now coming through some of our ministries are considered in this millennial stage. She said, what millennials really want from the church is not a change in style, but a change in substance. We want to end the culture wars. We want a truce between science and faith. We want to be known for what we stand for, not for what we are against. We want to ask questions that don't have predetermined answers. We want churches that empathize, emphasize an allegiance to the kingdom of God over an allegiance to a single political party or a single nation. We want to be challenged to live lives of holiness, not only when it comes to sex or our general activities, but also when it comes to living simply, caring for the poor and the oppressed, pursuing reconciliation, engaging in creation, care, and becoming peacemakers. She says you can't hand us a latte and then go about business as usual and expect us to stick around. We are not leaving the church because we don't find the cool factor there. We're leaving the church because we don't find Jesus there. Like every generation before ours and every generation after, deep down, we long for Jesus. But it doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come without somebody purposefully sharing Jesus with us. What if we became a church who is known for partnering with families so that when students leave our doors and yours, they know Jesus? That's the goal. That's why we need to take advantage of the cue sheets when your kids get sent home with the cue sheets on a Sunday afternoon. You talk about it. You go over it. You're intentional about pursuing what they've already learned and continuing that discussion. You have nightly devotions together. You talk to your teens about their faith and their doubts and their struggles. You give them permission to wrestle with a faith that becomes their own. Because most students decide if they will live for Jesus or not by the time they turn 18 years of age. There is no more critical time. And there is no greater ministry than our families. Our children, the people that we surround ourselves with, our families are our greatest 
mission field. That's not to discount any of the other mission fields that are out there, but our family should be the most important. There's a board on, in the foyer that's out there, and it's just some pictures of some families having fun together. And sometimes in the midst of the craziness of this life, as we're running from baseball game to swim practice to whatever else we're doing, we miss the fun factor and we miss having fun together and doing things together as a family. And ultimately, we miss out on our family and our families become disconnected and we we allow things to disconnect us as a family. If we're not intentional with our families and investing in our families, those relationships will lose and our community will be lost. Even Jesus and his family had fun together. Annually, they went to a celebration regarding the liberation from Egyptian slavery, the Passover. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Every year they came. They did things together as a family. Maybe we need to intentionally say, you know what, tonight is going to be a family night. Maybe we're bringing family night back. Maybe we're going to say that Wednesday night is a night that we're not going to have our electronics on. Because those can be things that distract us from creating the community that God has designed in our families. We need to do things that require the whole family to be involved. To have experiences together. To do life together. Without any distractions. If you go do these fun things that, that, that I'm suggesting that you do as a family. We'd love to have you bring a picture in so we can post it on our bulletin board of just saying, hey, we're committed to having fun as families. And if you're into the social media thing, we invite you to tag your picture with the hashtag ClintonFCCFamilies and we'll print those pictures off. I know we're, we're moving into the 21st century here. But I want you to think about this. Even if you're not old enough to have your own family, even if you're just a student in here, your family is something that you need to highly regard because God put it in place for a very specific purpose. God designed families to work together, to be a team, to support each other, to keep each other accountable. To learn how to interact with other people. We need to welcome that and be intentional with that. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we thank you for the design of families. God, we thank you for the way that you are working in and through them. And God, we know that it is a battle. A battle from Satan to try and keep a hold of our families, to, to keep things that are distracting our families from working together. 
God, you're, you'll, you know that Satan will use whatever tools he has to separate families. And so, God, we just pray right now in this place that you would protect the families in here. God, because they are a sacred community. Would you help us to be intentional? Would you help us to not just hope that we'll become followers, but to be intentional and to really pursue following you as a family? God, I pray a specific prayer for the men and the families, God, that they would raise up and be the leaders that you know they need to be. God, would you help me to lead my family well? And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. It's decision time. And as we get ready to sing another worship song, if you need prayer, we invite you to come forward. If if you want to make a decision for Jesus, we invite you to come forward. As we stand, get ready to sing another worship song. This next song um, is just, it's about the Father's love for us, our Father's love for us. And ultimately, we are a family. The church is a family. And in the same way we have individual families that we've grown up with, um, been raised by, like, as a church, we are family. And we have a Father that loves us. And so as we get ready for this time of communion, um, just reflect on this, that, that we are a family and that, that our Father sent His Son to die for us. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That he should give his only son To make a wretch his treasure How great the pain of searing loss The Father turned His face away As wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice, call out among the scoffers. 
Have you ever thought of Christ as the great tormentor? You see, apart from him, I can lead a smug, selfish, unexamined life. But let me enter his presence. Let me catch a vision of him dying upon the cross. And I know then that something is wrong between me and God. And that only he in his mercy and grace can put it right. So today during our communion time, catch a vision of him upon the cross. And understand he won the victory. He overcame death to give us new life. Father this time of reflection and remembrance, we give you praise. May we see you, really you, and may it change our lives. In Christ's name, amen.
Let's partake of the cup together. I want to take this time to um, thank all of you for uh, the prayers that have been offered up for my wife and myself and her adrenal gland cancer that's very rare. And uh, we've been going to these doctors, you know, and I find out that they don't know much more about it than I do. <laughs> you know, it's new, and I think they're writing a book on my wife because they keep saying, you look awful good. You're doing good. You went out and played golf the other day, yeah. And um, she's taking 15 chemo pills uh, a day and uh, and not being sick. And uh, we know the prognosis is not good. But we ask that you'll continue to remember us, especially on Thursday when we go back to the oncologist. And I think some more uh, choices have to be made of what direction we are to go. But we thank you and. They're kind of stumped over how well she's doing. They don't understand about how many people <laughs> are praying. So thank you. You've been good to us. Do you ask God to supply your needs? The Apostle James observed, you do not have because you do not ask. Do not allow emotions or circumstances to hinder your requests. Trust your Heavenly Father as the source of all things and relax in the certainty that he will fulfill his promises. Father, you have promised to come and give us abundant life. Thank you for the life you give, no matter how long it might be. We give because you first gave to us. We give that the gospel might be spread not only in our community, but even over into China.